0: I'll just give you a quote which sums Dario up. Um, I don't count a day as lived unless I've loved a woman, slain a foeman, and eaten a fine meal. I, I love the bit after that where he goes, And I have lived many days. <laughs> yeah. She says some other things that are more um, cryptic. One of them being, in the great hall of kings, the goat sits alone and the great dog descends on him. This is Derek Okora level. Who
1: the hell knows what this actually means? Like, you could end up that an actual goat gets devoured by an
0: actual dog somewhere in Harrenhal, and then she's like, "Told you." Hello, and welcome to the sixth part of Shark Live Royals coverage of A Storm of Swords by George R. R. Martin. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. Hello. And if you're reading it in the, if you're reading A Storm of Swords in the two book form, uh, because. Publishers sometimes publish it as one big book and sometimes as two smaller ones. We've now entered the second book, uh, which is called Blood and Gold. And we're reading from the start of that, we're reading from a chapter about Daenerys. uh, As far as, I think it's about page 76. It's a chapter about Sam, which begins, White Tree, Sam thought. Hmm. He did. That's as far as we're going today. Yeah, let's get straight to it. Dave, Daenerys back to back back across to Essos we go. It kind of sets up as Daenerys has arrived at the second slave city now. Uh and there's a massive army outside its walls waiting for her. So it looks like there's going to be a battle. Battle. Yes. Um yeah. And they look pretty confident uh Daenerys's advisors say. You know, Sejora says that it's going to be a pretty easy victory this, but there will be, you know, they will take losses. Mm. Um, there's basically the three armies they've got to fight. One is the, this, this Kai army, which is the, the one from the city which they're trying to take over. Mm. And then on each side, they've got a mercenary army as well. So there's uh, these guys called the Second Sons and these guys called the Stormcrows. Mm. What did you think? I was looking forward to this
1: battle. I don't mind telling you, I thought there'll be a battle here. Mm. Oh, George! You never learn, do you, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> hope springs eternal. Bloody hope.
0: <laughs> yeah. So um, we, we get to meet the the commander of Daenerys' Unsullied as well. She's promoted mm. a guy from within. Um, they all take. They all. Well, most of them have kept their really sort of demeaning, if you like, names because they consider them quite lucky now, because they're the names they had when they were freed. Mm. So this commander's called Grey Worm. Mm -hmm. Um, And he seems quite no-nonsense and utterly loyal, just what you'd expect from an Unsullied.
1: Yeah, weird, isn't it? Because you would have thought the experience of being an Unsullied would break these people in half, but they don't Mm. seem to be experiencing very much sort of culture shock as they go from being totally degraded, unhuman fighting machines to being free men who have chosen to fight. Um, it's a bit, it felt a bit far-fetched, this, but I did love, I always love seeing characters who've been downtrodden sort of blossom, and you definitely mm. see that with Grey Worm here, and you can feel that kind of vibe between Grey Worm and Daenerys, where they, they both understand this kind of slavery and what it is to be delivered from it.
0: Yeah, um, Daenerys also thinks to herself that she's actually got the best and the worst soldiers in... <laughs> sort of in Essos because she's got you know the the Unsullied who are these ultimate trained fighting men, mm. and then she's got this massive sort of rabble who have joined her in um, in her last place in Astapor because of nowhere else to go. Mm. So it, it's kind of like and she can't really bring herself to send them away, but she feels that they probably are going to get massacred in a battle, which seems uh, yeah. you know. <laughs> there's no good choice for those people is there is, no
1: there isn't and it's one of those things isn't it about queen queenship and leadership mm. where she's just got she feels a responsibility to look after these people but she's instantly faced with a situation where there's probably no good response there's no good mm. there's no good solution to their problem because they are poor people in a world that doesn't give two shits about the poor mm. and I, yeah. I mean i don't know I, as I was reading this I actually did you feel kind of as you were reading this, did you feel sort of a bit of tension or a bit of worry about what would happen to these people? Or to you, were they just still kind of quite faceless? Because I felt like I should care, but human life is so cheap in a Game of Thrones. I was like, mm, well, you're probably going to die, aren't you?
0: Yeah, I, I've got to admit, I came down along the side of uh, th- my feelings towards them and mostly they're a bit of a problem, Yeah, um, which isn't a particularly... <laughs> A particularly nice way to feel, but that's honestly what, as you as you're reading through it, you thought because you you're so in sort of sort of, you're so, so allied to what's going to happen to Daenerys here, you kind of want her to be in the strongest position possible, and you just think this is this is something she, in the same way as what you know Sejora and the Unsullied have advised her, these people are a, a hindrance and a pretty big one as well. Mm. And it's, is it worth taking a moment here to
1: notice, like how kind of? Not heartless, but how little energy we've got to invest in the lives of little people. <laughs> in. After, after, after spending this amount of time in Westeros, we're now just like, kind of, you're probably going to die. I'm not certain why I would care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're monsters, Matt. We need to face it.
0: Yeah. I actually think there's an element of uh, what, what, you, what you're tagging along for. Just, uh, just stay, in, stay in that city and, and try and make a life for yourself or something.
1: They're the irritating younger
0: siblings of this scenario. Yeah. Although maybe they'd be like, I, because I got no place else to go. <laughs> if only they
1: were ever given a chance to speak, which of course they won't be because they're poor people in Westeros.
0: Yeah, good point. Um, okay, so she meets with the leaders of these three armies. She meets with the two mercenary leaders, and... Um, and then uh, they're actually, you know, a groups of each of them, which is a bit confusing. So I think there are three leaders of the Storm Crows who she mm. meets. There's this lead, this really nasty leader of the Second Sons, who's a d- massive drunkard and um, obviously quite a dodgy looking bloke. She meets him. And then she meets the leader of the, Yunk- the Yunkai people. Mm. Um, and I quite liked how that guy, when he first meets her, he describes. Um, Daenerys as being from the savage, senseless West, and it's just quite a, a nice yeah. opposite opinion because uh-huh. I've I've just felt the opposite way around so far in this book that mm-hmm. the West is civilised and this side of the world isn't, and obviously you can easily flip that on it, on, your head if you, on its head if you grew up in somewhere like Yunkai.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's it's one of George Martin's projects, isn't it, with this series, is to like make it clear that no matter what kind of cultural sympathies one character may have. Everybody is fundamentally a bastard Like, you know, there's a kind of equality of being a total knob Which is what George Martin seems to see in the human condition
0: <laughs> Yeah um, da- Daenerys is is, is cl- sort of more cleverer tactically Or more devious, if you like mm. um, Than we've seen before where she says she wants, you know, she offers uh, an alliance with all three of these armies, or mm. you know, an, an opportunity for them to change sides. And she says they've got a couple of days to decide whether or not to do it. Mm. And then that knight says, "Right, we're going to attack them now, um, just to get the drop on them." Especially, especially because she's she's given a, a massive sort of cart of wine to to the Second Sons. So yeah. she's thinking they'll all be wrecked. So that's probably <laughs> a good time to attack them. Yeah. <laughs> Which is uh, it's pretty shrewd. It um, is. Uh, it's interesting yeah. as well, isn't
1: it? That like that these these savvy warriors and fighters didn't think of that. Is like there's mm-hmm. a massive army here, and I've only got her word for it that she's going to wait for those two days, and
0: she's just given me the way we all to get totally pissed.
1: Yeah. Is there a problem I, with it? The- no, boys. Let's just get hammered. What?
0: <laughs> I think it's a really nice illustration of just how much how. Um, these kind of people underestimate Daenerys. They really do see her as this sort of mewling babe who, um, yeah. who was some sort of consort of a of a horse lord and mm. nothing more, really. And she just happens to have had the blind look to come across three dragons.
1: Yeah. Well, it's hard to argue with that that sense, isn't it? As much as we like Daenerys, what is she seventeen?
0: She's even younger. She's probably only like 14, 15 in, the, bu- in the book. Yeah. Imagine a 15-year-old with like three loaded dragons. Mm. Terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Um, the the only uh, person who who ends up actually changing sides is this guy called Dario Naharis, who mm. he's he's one of the sort of leaders of the Stormcrows, and he decides to switch sides and turns up at Daenerys' tent with a with the two severed heads of the other two commanders uh, as a sort of a a gift. Um, Quite an entrance. is, isn't it? uh, Yeah. What did you make of this guy? I'll just give you a quote which sums Dario up. Mm. Um, He says of himself in this chapter, um, I don't count a day as lived um, unless I've loved a woman, slain a foeman, and eaten a fine meal. I I, I love the bit (laughs) after that where he goes, and I have lived many days. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's so he's, great. Is he's, he's so? Is it's such a? It's so strange because we've not sk- come across a character like this. He's just so flamboyant, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. And um, he's one of those sort of real larger than life individuals. Yeah,
1: yeah. I tell you what, actually, I, I liked him in the book more than I liked him in the TV series because in the TV series he's just a pretty boy. Yeah. Who, whereas in this. Um, he's kind of, he's like got weird, this is weird facial tattoos and stuff, hasn't he? He's just like, he's like, he's so flamboyant that he hasn't, he he thinks of skin as a really boring color. So he's like tattooed (laughs) it like blue and pink and gold and stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and he definitely like, he sort of shakes it up a little bit, doesn't he? But at this point I was like. I wouldn't trust him as far as I could throw his ego because he's mm. he's big and he's gone and killed his his friends in order to fight for me. And if somebody betrays their friends once, they're much more likely to do it twice. So yeah. if I was if I was him if I was um if I was Daenerys, I'd be like, did you? That's nice, fabulous. Anyway, there's some washing up needs doing. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I wouldn't put him on the front line of the fight.
0: Yeah, I think um, the book version of Dario is much more. Um he seems much more dangerous in the in the series. Yeah, you're, you're right. I think I mean they've had a bit of trouble sort of getting him right, haven't they? Because they, yeah. they've cast him twice now, and the first time I think he was a bit too sort of hunky pretty. Do you know why that is? No, go on. It's because the actor playing him in the in
1: series three left yeah. to be in the reboot of the Transporter. Really? <laughs> yeah, they're rebooting the Transporter now, if you please. And he was like, <laughs> "Fuck Westeros, I'm going to go and be a, a Jason Statham ripoff, mind you, <laughs> fucking hell."
0: Right. Um,
1: no, I've got nothing against the Statham, Let's be clear here. But do you know what I mean? Whereas, so I thought the casting was really because the first one he was pretty, and in the second one he doesn't seem to be sort of flamboyant enough, arrogant yeah. enough. And in the book, yeah. in the book, he's a very, very particular kind of character.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think the Daenerys's reaction to him and her willingness to sort of take him on. Um, I think her judgment's been clouded slightly because she is obviously quite interested in him as well. Mm-hmm. She's uh, she thinks he's quite fit, mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> and, I, and I think that's gonna. You, you, this is this is another really interesting part of it here because Sajora comes in and warns her off him. Mm. Um, and I mean, it's kind of obvious why, because he's, he's just, it's just classic Sajora, isn't it it? Isn't like mm. any men who, who happen to <laughs> maybe be able to offer something that he can't. Um, but at the same time, you think, well, her judgment is being a bit clouded here. Maybe yeah. he, he might actually be right, even if it's for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Um, but yeah. d- the, nurse is, the nurse has just had enough of this. Now this is the he kind of pushes his luck too far, doesn't he, Jora? And yeah. she turns on him and says, "Look, I'm never gonna yeah. sort of marry a." So yeah. of back off. Yeah. And, you know, it's quite a harsh put down in the end, isn't it? Yeah, but enough respect
1: though because, I mean, you know, she's his queen and no means no. and No means no is a very important principle that nobody in Westeros seems to give two shits about. So I did quite mm-hmm. like the sight of this female character being like, no, fuck off.
0: Yeah.
1: Um... You know, uh, even though clearly it's going to rip Sajora's heart out, and I will be interested to see. Given that he's a guy with sort of questionable honour anyway, I wonder if that's that's a seed of a kind of rebellion against her, because uh, he's extremely devoted. But
0: I don't know. You know, I could this turn him. Do you think it's uh, it's entirely possible, isn't it?
1: Yeah. That that was a very cagey response. Have you read ahead by any
0: chance? <laughs> well, I've read them all, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. Le-
1: all right, do you know what? Just because you've responded that way, I'm gonna fold that up. I'm gonna put it in my pocket as yet another call forward. It's <laughs> <laughs> the cold gods in this. I'm feeling proud of myself today.
0: Yeah. Um so this chapter ends with where- with Daenerys basically sending her men off to battle and waiting to hear the result. Um, it's kind of like simming a uh, simming a match on FIFA. <laughs> point, yeah. she was, so she's sort of sitting around waiting to work out what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and the only person with her is uh, Aston Whitebeard, this guy from back home. who he tells her a couple of tales about Rhaegar uh, Targaryen, her brother. Oh. And actually, I just thought it's interesting they mention the tournament at Hall, which is obviously a big deal for all these people. Mm. Um, sort of one of the great. Um, one of the great tournaments from history, mm. and uh, I just quite like it because it links up with the story of the Cranigman, which uh, which yeah, Bran yeah, heard yeah. last time.
1: Yeah, and I do I do love that. Anything that kind of ties these characters together, I really like because the book, the plot, and the the, the sequence of the plot of the book keeps them apart, and and I find that quite frustrating because I you know there's there's a point where I've been for a book and a half now. I've been like, how do these people? mean anything to one another so these yeah. moments where it's kind of brought out a bit more they they really grab me back in and I think that's important mm.
0: yeah it's good to keep those links isn't it because you do sometimes feel Daenerys is a bit too detached from what the rest of the story yeah yeah um, it ends with there's a, a big victory they, they do it uh, it's a massive massive win for the uh, for the Daenerys team mm-hmm. and uh, it's an absolute rout and in the end they open the the city gates to Yunkai and all these people come out uh, shouting Misa which means mother Um, and Daenerys is this sort of big saviour for them yeah
1: and it's massive actually isn't it I think in the character of Daenerys because it reinforces the thing of Daenerys as a liberator a violent liberator you know without question but she's building this identity every day not as a, uh, um, a conqueror like somebody who's out to dominate, but somebody who's out to liberate. Mm. Um, and I wonder how much that's going to come to, because she's a queen, right? Queens are absolute monarchs, and she's not. She's not about to, you know, establish a parliament. You know, the parliamentary democracy of Daenerys's Calisar. But at mm. the same time, um, you know, she is. She's something other than a kind of absolute dictator. Yeah. And I reckon that's going to become a big conflict in the future, because she's given all of these people their freedom, and they're following her out of love but sooner or later she's going to have to make a decision about yeah. a decision that that you know that isn't loving and i wonder i wonder how many people are going to desert her at that
0: point this bit is uh, in the series is actually quite controversial it's got it, it's, oh, it? it's courted a bit of controversy yeah and it's over the issue of race because um, it's kind of like oh, I it's see. kind yeah. of you know white white woman Freeze all these brown people, yeah. Um, and uh, a lot of uh, a lot of people have taken offense to that. I think that the book, um, can sidestep that quite neatly insofar as you don't have to see the skin color of people in this. Yeah. But yeah. I still think it's it, it is heavily implied that obviously, yeah. it's a Western race freeing a um, a people um, across the sea. Yeah. Um, but I mean, what do you how, how do you feel about that? I'm I'm not too uncomfortable with it insofar as the sort of grandest the feel of the book and the fact that it's based on a on a sort of an alternate version of of history which yeah. is which kind of runs parallel though obviously um if i was if i was black i'd might quite like to see sort of a different telling of this story sometimes because it's always the way it's done isn't it <laughs> yeah 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 and the fact that it's always
1: the way it is done is what the problem is i think for me like i would yeah george martin's kind of sexual politics like he generally is quite careful to have like quite meaningful um, female characters and you know they kind of quickly pass the Bechdel test but mm. um I know because like because I mean I said this didn't I that like the first time the Dothraki were introduced on TV I was like yeah. oh yeah here we go is it is it all the barbarous foreigners who happen to have more melanin than the people who we're really supposed to identify with and I, yeah. I think that's a problem in the TV series <clears throat> which it doesn't have to be in the book yeah um but um, but I mean, all told, I think that's a fair criticism in the end, um, mm. just because of, of, of the, you know, the signifiers and the signs and, and the fact that you can't get away from what ethnicities mean in the real mm. world and how you have to use them to, to kind of betray stuff. It's not necessarily a problem in the book, I don't think, but I would mm. like to see a kind of um, a culture from the East addressing the West on its own terms. But then again, I mean, yeah. who's to say that the origin of the Red God, who comes from the West, from the East, after all, isn't, it, it, the Red God is not a Westerosi force. And it's becoming mm. clear that the Red God is supposed to be a kind of opposition to the the old gods, the cold gods, the others. Mm. Um, so, I'm, you know, maybe that, maybe there's more kind of, you know, ethnic nuance kind of in this than I'm currently seeing. But I, I think that's a legit argument, a legit complaint for people to have, really.
0: Yeah because I th- I think it's interesting you draw the uh similarity between that and the idea of sort of how women are treated in this book mm. because you know you you can see it's very similar there a casual read of it um you could you could make the case to say that it's it's kind of the the book's kind of aimed at people who like to see women you know subjugated and back in the kitchen because that's how they're all treated in this book mm. um and and it, and it goes up against, there's, there's that point of view goes up against uh, Again, this this point that it's supposed to be based on history, and this is kind of what it was like. Um, you know, if you want to have a, a story based on you know yeah. English medieval history, then this is the way you have to. This this is the system you have to place women in. But you can still have strong characters which sort of find ways to to to, to get the better of that system, if you like. Yeah. And that's and that that's how he sort of he squares that circle, really, isn't it?
1: Yeah. 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 So um, jury's out for me. Um hmm. you know, I I think if there is prejudice embedded in this then it's unconscious. You know, I don't think he set out to write a kind of racist tome. But of course, no. you know, that's that's one of the problems with inherent racism, isn't it? You don't think you're doing it. Um hmm. so for me, the jury's out, but I think anybody who complains about this probably has good reason to do so.
0: Uh yeah, okay. That's uh, well that's that dealt with. <laughs> and, um, yeah, uh, been... <laughs> I have proclaimed. That's we've we've answered that question. Moving on. <laughs> uh okay the uh the next chapter is about aya um and she's they've returned to this place called high heart which Ooh, this is, is the doing... place
1: with the mental the mental witch who she's she's like mm. the westerosi
0: 24 hour news yeah <laughs> yeah she is yeah she's kind of like we're not sure if she's a weird little witch or just a or a dwarf woman or maybe even a a child of the forest there's uh, even rumor of that yeah um it starts with uh, Thoros by the campfire, just staring into the flames. Mm. Um, and we have a little chat between him and Arya and we find out a bit more about him. Mm. And he was sort of sent over years ago to Westeros to kind of do what Melisandre has come over to do, Mm. kind of convert people. Mm. But, um, in the end, he kind of got converted himself, and he ended up sort of drinking a lot. And he yeah. sounds like he was always a bit of a tearaway, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I really like this character. Actually, what did you make of him?
1: I agree with that because he's just clearly come over when he was a lad, and has just become a lad with a capital L. Just you know, just got hammered with the king and just had an absolute whale of a time. Um, yeah and then but it is interesting that he then goes through this kind of religious reconversion almost or like a rediscovery of his faith mm. um and i i mean i just, i think that's kind of interesting i think that's an interesting experience which you very rarely see in literature you know mm. it's it's always played as a reason to make somebody more one-dimensional really religion generally makes characters quite one-dimensional in most fiction whereas this actually makes him quite complicated and really interesting
0: Mm. yeah i think you're right i got a very sense of him like if we're going to keep with these sort of comparisons to medieval europe Mm. um he struck me as very much like a uh one of those is it a franciscan friar or one of the friars that sort of Mm. was the opposite of the traditional monks who hid, hid themselves away There were these friars who sort of went out among the people and lived with them and were very sort of down to earth and and did this sort of this sort of um, grassroots evangelical stuff um, in the middle of the Middle Ages, which felt a very long way away from the the sort of the wealth and power of the of the church at the time. Actually, you're absolutely right, and I don't know how I've only just noticed
1: this, but it's Friar Tuck, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's It's, it's exactly what he is. He's
1: Friar (laughs) Tuck. Um, but Friar Tuck, who's stopped getting pissed and has become more serious,
0: yeah, and more badass,
1: <laughs> and more, ba- and seriously, like a, a samurai
0: Friar Tuck, yeah. brilliant. Because he is described as in the past he used to be quite portly, didn't he? Yeah, um, and and now he's sort of a lot of the weight's fallen off him because of the way he's had to live in the last few in the last year because of the war. Yeah. Um, but he, yeah, he—he he almost was a real, especially at the start of the book, seems a real fright up kind of character, <laughs> and I suppose in the best sense of uh, the old uh, medieval fighting bishops as well, because oh, there were yeah. these, there were these holy men in the Med- Middle Ages who. You know, uh, even archbishops who mm. used to go into battle and actually, you know, fight. And they, they used to always, fight. I think, they used to fight with maces because you could break arms without spilling blood. It's kind of a get-out clause <laughs> cause you, as a member, as a member of the holy order, you weren't supposed to spill blood. So they found weapons that they could fight with which didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that as an idea, isn't it? Look, I, I
1: really want to have a fight. Yeah, but I mean, holy orders, vows, you know, <laughs> God, non-violence. And he's like, yeah, but it's blood, isn't it? Blood's the problem. Yes, brilliant. <laughs> Let's workshop this. Let's work on it. Can I kill people without shedding their blood in battle? <laughs> yeah. Hang on, it's coming. It's, wait for it. Morningstar.
0: Yes brilliant yeah. <laughs> <laughs> call the king tell him i'm in yeah maybe um maybe thoros is a, an extension of that because he always fights with his flaming sword maybe it cauterizes the wound straight away <laughs> <so he> doesn't <laughs> spill any blood be <laughs> yeah but um yeah just in case you're wondering i think that's where the the bishop on the um on the chess board comes from as well
1: oh of course it is yeah
0: that makes sense because eh? bishops did because whenever oh. i remember when i first started learning chess i was like well why is there a bishop? Because they just knock about saying prayers. They don't do any fighting. And yeah. yeah, that's probably why.
1: Well, they, you see, you get more trivia to the ounce with shark liver oil. Yeah. That's that's really, no, gen- I mean, it sounds like I'm mocking
0: it. I think that's really interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. So, so they end up talking about this flaming sword and the fire. And um, Thoris is admitting that it wasn't. it's not the smartest thing to do to a sword because it damages it. And Beric just comes over and very sort of morosely just says, fire consumes, and then sort of says, you know, I've come back six times now and it's too much. And it's a very quick snapshot, but you just feel with Beric that he's really hurting, even though he's, he's alive, he's not wholly alive anymore, and yeah. it does take a toll, doesn't it, this?
1: Yeah, and it, again it's this interesting little parallel, isn't it? By the power of the Red God, he's become something akin to a zombie, you know, he can't remember where mm. he's from he can't remember what he does, he's losing his essence, even as he maintains his life and that's mm. kind of the same as the zombies that we're seeing getting, getting resurrected in the
0: North. Yeah so so the, the this little old crone, whatever she is, comes out of the darkness to sit by the fire and um she's going to deliver the latest news uh, for a price she actually she actually wants to have a have a snog with lem lemon cloak and he he turns down. he's, what, he's not keen her, is he <laughs> <laughs> yeah But she says a bit of tongue and he's like no it's not going to happen <laughs> so she um she accepts a song instead from tom seven streams mm. and uh gives you the latest news <laughs> <laughs> and one of one of the things is Balon Greyjoy's dead. Apparently, what? Um, word, word, yeah, she says that he's that Ballin Greyjoy's dead, and he, he's fallen off a a bridge in Pike. There you go. Oh, is yeah.
1: there, this is this is the thing with the red woman and the
0: the blood, isn't it? And the leeches. She'll certainly claim it. Yeah. 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 And it's yeah. either a coincidence or it's it directly affects a direct consequence, isn't it? It's one yeah. of the two. Yeah. Um, So Renly's
1: dead and Balon's dead
0: Yeah, Mm. I mean this is only a prediction here But a couple of chapters on Which we will come to today And it's confirmed to Rob Some merchant comes across uh, Rob's army And lets him know So it Mm. has happened, so she is right Mm. Um, But yeah, yeah, so Balon's gone as well So there are only three claimants now So you've got Rob, you've got Stannis And you've got obviously Joffrey Yeah Hmm.
1: Well I don't know I mean so what do you think do you think this is um do you think this is this is that prophecy sort of coming true or do you
0: think do you think this is just a coincidence oh, uh, you know what um if I did know, I wouldn't be able to say because I don't want to spoil it but um, <laughs> but I think even from my position having read further ahead, I'm still not sure really um, although you uh, I think if you look at the kind of real tangible, uh, sort of consequences of the red woman's power so far so the fact that she can produce shadow babies suggests that she may you know she, she's not a fraudster so yeah maybe she does have some kind of impact but um i don't know it's only one out of three isn't it
1: well i actually um, yeah i mean that's true but i mm, i don't know I don't know. I, I mean, it could just be that George Martin couldn't be asked getting the POV character up to see what Ballon was up to, and he's just like, right, fuck it, he dies. Because um, <laughs> he's... I mean, and we're very conscious of this at many points, aren't we, that he's definitely given himself a problem with um, POV approach to things, where he's trying mm. to tell a whole world with only a small number of characters. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know how you feel about that. I I feel like that as a technique is hurting it
0: hurting him more than it's helping him at this point. Yeah, that's interesting. I quite like it. I think it just adds a bit of extra texture to the to the world. So so sometimes you see th- things happen, and mm. sometimes you you hear about them, and it's just kind of like in real life where you know you can't be everywhere at once and i i quite like it is annoying insofar as you don't get to to really get to grips with some of these great scenes that they could have been yeah but on the other hand it just it does serve to give a sense of this world being so big that you can't even see it all happening so Mm. i don't know it just feels it, it i think it really helps in in adding to the to the illusion that this world actually really exists. Mind you, though, but for
1: people to be aware of the plot, you do sort of, you end up with a lot of merchants who turn up and say, good heavens, <laughs> I just heard.
0: <laughs> yeah, all, all this just in, um, weird <laughs> crone news anchor women. That's
1: it, isn't it? It's the this just in crone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, she, she, she says some other things that are more um, cryptic one of them being um in the great hall of kings the goat sits alone um and the great dog descends on him um which they That's think could mean that the hounds knocking about somewhere maybe Harrenhall. yeah which is which i suppose we're tying cuz the uh that guy who leads to brave companions is known as the goat isn't he oh yeah and would the great hall of kings then be Harrenhall? yeah i think so i think that was the old like grandest uh, grandest castle in the land mm that's yo. Well, that's weird though. Like the goat
1: sits alone and fevered as the great dog descends on him. Hmm. That is exactly. the... We said this before, didn't we? This is Derek Cora level. Yeah, cold, it is a bit cold yeah. calling. Is it? He's like, who the hell knows what this actually means? Like, it could end <laughs> up that an actual goat gets devoured by an actual dog somewhere in Hall and then she's like, "Told you." <laughs> what? <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> the sun rises on a landscape.
0: <laughs> of course he fucking does. What else do sons do on landscape? <laughs> um, so so they set off again after this meeting, and uh, Arya rides with this guy called uh, Ned Dane for a while, <clears throat> and he's the squire for Lord Berwick. And um, there are a couple of things with this. One is the fact that he's he's a little boy. He's only about ten or ten or twelve, I think now, mm. and. Um, I just really maybe think about the whole squire system here, that a lot of the squires are this this age, you know, mm. just children. Mm-hmm. And when battles happen, they're in the middle of them. Mm-hmm. They basically stand next to the knight who's fighting and killing people, and um, they've got to help protect the knight if he gets into trouble. Yeah. Um, and just to be in the middle of, you know, a battle at that age, it just seems like a, a real... Uh, it, it's shocking enough when when I is in the middle of stuff just because she happens to have fallen into the wrong area yeah but um the actual system the actual military system places children in the <laughs> middle of war which is mad isn't
1: it <laughs> well yeah I, absolutely um Although there are many who would argue that you know current military systems, which you know allow the recruitment of sixteen-year-olds, not too far away from that. But um,
0: oh, I think there's a big difference between being ten and being sixteen. Though.
1: Oh, that's true. But but there's also a big difference between being sixteen and being eighteen. And you know that that's not that's not concerning mm. to anybody at all. You know, in our in our system. Oh, um, not not as big. I don't think. Oh, not as big. But it's still fairly considerable. Yeah. Um, but well, But either way, um. I think you're right. I think it's really sort of messed up. It's all about how growing up is supposed to be this kind of like your childhood ends when you're about eight in Westeros, isn't it? Yeah. So at 12, you know, you're supposed to be kind of ready for this. And you're supposed to be at a place where if your father dies when you're 15, like it did for Rob... Then you're ready mm. to take over his army and do all of the leading and stuff.
0: Yeah, I was going to say. I suppose this is the this is the the boy version in this world of what happens to girls when they're told they're going to have to get married at around about this age. Yeah, it's you're right. It's this sudden thrust towards adulthood, isn't it? Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. I, but I, I think the the boy version of it is more forgiving than the girl version of it. Mm. Um, uh, but yeah, I don't know. Can you imagine when you were twelve, um, being like told that you had to follow somebody around? with like like a, it's like a caddy but for war isn't it it's following somebody around with a bag full of weapons
0: yeah <laughs> and so sort of
1: helping him out only the helping out in question isn't saying oh the greens the <laughs> green's sloping off a bit to the right it's saying <laughs> um hang on he's coming for you wait for it i'm 12 and i'll stab yeah. him to death
0: <laughs> yeah wildling approaching uh what do you think uh so, seven iron two handed greatsword? Yeah, yeah, I've that.
1: There's not a lot of time to sort of discuss your options, is there?
0: <laughs> Three wood club, what do you reckon? Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: How long do you think you would have lasted when you were twelve? Because I, I think I wouldn't get anywhere close. I'd be like I'd get into the battle and I'd be like, to be honest, this is not a work experience programme that I'm interested in pursuing.
0: I'm off. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Not long. <laughs> I think it's this it's this um Again, another reflection on um, on medieval Europe insofar as back in, you know, centuries ago, this, this whole concept of, of childhood didn't exist, did it? You, yeah. just, you were just smaller versions of big people. Mm-hmm. And um, there wasn't this idea of treating children any particularly differently. They were just sort of, they just got to, they were just kind of not quite fully formed adults yet rather yeah. than being sort of experiencing childhood in its own right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, childhood
1: was just sort of a waiting period until he'd managed to grow up to the right size.
0: Hmm, Yeah. Yeah. Uh so yeah, there's also a bit about about this guy, this squire, uh, N- Ned Dane's parentage. Um what, what I think his, oh, his yeah. dad was his dad was sort of the the brother of Sir Arthur Dane, the sword of the morning that famous uh, oh, white yeah. King'sguard knight who, who Ned Stark ended up killing. Mm. And um and his mum appears to be the it's not entirely clear this from from how i read it but there's a, there's some connection here with john in that um yeah it looks like his his mum is related to arthur dane and there's this go, there's this woman called lady is it ashara who mm. was at heron hall and and killed herself in grief um, mm. after she was spurned by it, it seems ned mm. um before before Ned got married. What, yeah. do you think, what did you make of all this? Well, I loved it because that is a little seed that
1: you could see George Martin placing in the ground in, like, chapter one of book one, the question <laughs> of Jon Snow's mother and who she is. And we've gone back to it, I don't know, two or three times, and the only thing that's ever been said about it is, who knows who this woman was? Mm. Um, and that's just too big a thing not to revisit it somewhat. But of course, this is George Martin and this is The Song of Ice and Fire and there's going to be seven books and we're in book three. So he doesn't give a shit about whether or not he actually tells you anything. He's just going to be like, and here's a possible name. Anyway, we'll be leaving that until <laughs> book five.
0: <laughs> so maybe this is John's mum. We don't know. But yeah, so so there's, there's a connection there because it is one of these ongoing mysteries, isn't it? Which yeah. we, we have no idea about. I'm
1: curious about what the... What, what it's going to turn out to? Is it going to turn out to be significant? Like, and if so, I can't begin to imagine how. Which means there's a fuck of a lot more plot that's going to need to get revealed. Mm. You know, like because like because because in a way the action is so slow moving. Like the big story is so slow moving in this. You kind of you kind of get used to waiting for an entire book for a, like until you return to a particular theme or a particular possibility in the plot. And then, mm. like I say, this is a, this is a hint that's two and a half books old. So I'm yeah. like, fuck! How is this going to make sense with the with the the cold gods and the old gods and the red god and the seven gods and the and the <laughs> you know the dragons and the ice and the fire yeah. and the. Uh, and then John, John Snow's mother as well. And I'm like, there's a bit of me that desperately wants to get on a wiki of ice and fire at this point. <laughs> Just have it all spoiled for me. And I know that I shouldn't do that. It's this sort of temptation, you know, this kind of wrestling match with my conscience.
0: Yeah, don't do it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> don't worry about it. My commitment to Shark Liver Oil is absolute. I'm going to experience <laughs> this
0: as a reader, even though it's becoming more and more frustrating. Uh, the, the end of this chapter is... Uh they take a diversion they were going to go to riverrun to ransom um to ransom Arya back to mm. the starks but thoros has this vision in the flames the same way that melisandra has them mm. and he he sees that riverrun is under siege uh, which is news to us um, so he ends the the word is that Rob's gone north to the twins for this wedding, which mm. isn't news to us. That is, we know we know that's happening. Mm-hmm. So they decide to sort of hold up a minute, send out some scouts, and, and work out what to do next. And um, Arya isn't up for this. She thinks she's got so close, and yeah. now they're stalling again. Yeah. So she she bails. She runs
1: again. And... <laughs> <Go on. laughs> again, she fucking runs again. But oh, Bob, what, is she going to get captured? Is she? <laughs>
0: Oh, yeah, straight into the arms of the hound who's skulking around outside.
1: Oh, yeah, at least that's different. At least that's not just another chapter where the dramatic high point is just Arya runs and is recaptured.
0: At least she's recaptured
1: <laughs> yeah. by somebody pretty fucking dramatic.
0: <laughs> yeah, so she is recaptured, um, but by the hound. And, oh, dear. Yeah, no fucking kidding, like oh, dear. Well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's move on to Jamie. Jamie. Uh, Jamie uh, is being released by Roose Bolton. He's being sent back to to King's Landing, and Roose says, "Give my regards to your father" when he sends him off. And Jamie says, "Give my regards to Rob." And it it seems like Roose is almost this kind of go-between, um, at sort of easing yeah. the tension here. Um, I don't really. Th- I mean, but it's not with Rob's with, with Rob's knowledge. And yeah. I don't know, maybe it's less if he's a go between it. and he's also, he's kind of playing both sides, roose Bolton here, just to see which one's gonna win, just yeah. in case Rob loses. Yeah. Um yeah, so he's just very Roos Bolton,
1: isn't it? It is oh, man, he's a shifty fucker, isn't he? Like every time <laughs> you see him on screen he's either saying something like kind of subtly undermining to somebody. <laughs> like, mm. you don't want to overplay your position. <laughs> <laughs> Or whatever it is. Um, or these kind of like he just loves a nod and a wink, doesn't he? Like you yeah, get the feeling yeah. that he would be happy to conduct his entire life on the basis of saying cryptic things and holding a massive sword at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> and that's exactly what's going on here. Like, is he is he what's going on? Is he is he just in it for himself or is he gonna fuck over the Lannisters? Or is he gonna fuck over or has he somehow turned Jamie? Is Jamie gonna be a sleeper agent? How fucking cool would that be? Like <laughs> Unlikely, yeah. I'll admit, but
0: that would be fucking awesome. So, so, you're thinking there might be something else behind the give my regards to Tywin Lannister to your father. Yeah, regards. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Well,
1: I mean, I, I clearly otherwise. I mean, otherwise, he's supposed to be your enemy. What are you doing, sending polite regards and his son back? Like yeah. either there's a scheme here, or this is a pretty stunning betrayal.
0: Mm. Um. Next up, oh, so so ja- Jamie's on his way to King's Landing, and he. He, he hears news that Brienne, um, who was left at Heron Hall, mm. that her father's offered a ransom payment, which isn't enough, and that the uh, Vargo Holt isn't going to take it. Mm. And she's basically, I don't know, she's going to meet a sorry end. Yeah. And that night, Jamie has this really weird dream. Oh, yeah. Where he's in he's in the sort of the dungeons beneath Casterly Rock, mm. and he's he's... He's surrounded. He's, it was him in Brienne with these flaming swords mm. and no, literally nothing else. Mm. And um, they're surrounded by all these shades, all these ghosts of, uh, of of people like the the old Kingsguard who all died, and uh, mm. Ned Stark's there, and various other people. Mm. And in the end, Jamie sort of wakes up screaming. And mm. suddenly decides to go back to save Brienne mm. um from Harrenhal. What did you make of this weird dream sequence? I I can't believe
1: this manages to change Jamie's mind. Jamie's whole aspect for this whole fucking story has been this arrogant, self-entitled, self-interested um wanker. Like that's been his whole character. And now, mm. and you know, we kind of seen moments of warmth, I suppose, between him and Brienne, but uh, you know, he left, he left her behind knowing that it wasn't going to go well for her, knowing that she didn't have sapphires. Mm. And, um, and, and, and he has this dream and it turns him around. And I, so I wonder if the stuff in this dream really plays on like, uh, fears and worries that he's had. Um, you mm. know, cause, cause he's treated very harshly by his sister in this dream sequence, isn't he? Like she kind of yeah. turns up and goes, yeah, you fucked, you down here forever. Bye. And, um, and so you have this sense of like, there's some deep misgiving in him about how welcomed he is likely to be by his family on his return. Um yeah. Which is not the kind of insecurity you'd expect somebody like Jamie Lannister to entertain. And in fact, it's so troubling is this dream, is this fear of, of being rejected by his family that he goes back to get somebody who he feels is going to be definitely on his side. You know? And, mm. and off he goes. You know, he goes back and gets Brienne.
0: Yeah, maybe it is playing into that subconsciously. He's... He's come across something with Brienne, this blind loyalty that she shows towards people, that he's never had from anyone before, and that he doesn't really feel he, he he'll get he was guaranteed from his family, even though they're the people who should yeah. give him that kind of support. Yeah, but, uh, very interesting. Yeah. Um, so he, he rides hellful leather back to Harrenhal. Um, uh, <laughs> when he arrives, the the bloody mummers have got. Brienne in a bear pit, and she's fighting a bear with a tournament sword, which is a sort of a blunt sword. Oh man! So yeah. she's she's basically being killed for the for the for their entertainment. Sounds like she's bitten off Vargo Holt's ear because he <laughs> tried to rape her. <laughs> just go, Brienne! Um,
1: Absolutely. I just the more I spend time around this character, he's fundamentally quite humourless. But but she yeah. does something like that, and I'm like, yes, love. That's exactly what you need to do. Get in there. <laughs>
0: yeah, uh, J- Jamie jumps into the bear pit. It's a classic Jamie move because he lands and then he sort of looks up at the massive bear and just thinks, what in seven hells am I going to do now? <laughs> I tell you what he needed. He needed...
1: This is exactly the same as the end of fucking Anchorman, isn't it? What he needed... <laughs> what he needed was for his little dog to run up and kind of bark. I know Katorjo, I met him in the mountains.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah... <laughs> well, in the end, um that doesn't happen,, oh, um, but yeah let's judge, <laughs> yeah, he's saved by the uh the Northmen who uh supposed to be escorting him to King's landing. And basically, it's more than their life's worth to let him get killed because Roose Bolton will. Yeah. I think Roose Bolton. Jamie says to this guy, Steelshanks Walton, who's supposed to be taking him to King's Landing. Yeah. He says, "If if you let me die, your your lord will peel you like an orange," which um, is kind of true. <laughs> yeah, you know, no I kidding. Yeah. So so they so yeah, the, the Northmen feather this uh, bear with arrows. Mm. The poor uh, the poor animal dies, and Jamie and Brienne are saved. And Brienne asks why he came back and Jamie quite simply just says, I dreamed of you and he quite, just leaves that hanging. It's quite touching in a way, isn't it? Yeah. I mean given that it's Jamie Lannister and
1: I wouldn't want to be I'm not certain I'd want to feature in Jamie Lannister's dreams. But yeah. <laughs> But it, I mean it's if you ignore the fact that it's coming from Jamie Lannister, it's quite a touching, kinda of heartwarming moment, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I
1: think so. How would you feel if Jamie Lannister met you and was like I dreamed of you.
0: I would. I would assume he was, he dreamed of killing me. That's what I would assume. <laughs>
1: Actually, that's fair, isn't it? I think I would do the same. So, so how on earth does Brienne? Oh well, no, I don't know. <laughs> He's just
0: saved her. You
1: yeah. dr- but you he would be a bit, wouldn't you? He? You'd be like, you dreamed of me. I'll mm-hmm. be honest. That's not very comforting.
0: <laughs> no, exactly. No. Um, next up is Catelyn. Uh, and uh she's on the way north with rob and uh there's there's this there's quite quite a sweet moment i suppose where um rob's wife jean Mm. um sees him off three times she she comes to uh she comes to sort of wave him off at the castle and Mm. then the godswood and then she rides up um halfway up the road to sort of beg to be taken with him again yeah and um He's kind of, he's quite touched by it, Rob, but he's also kind of pissed off because the, the, the rain's coming down really heavily. All his <laughs> men are having to halt the march so yeah. his, uh, his wife can come up and, and yeah. say goodbye again. It, um, it,
1: it's a bit read too many romance novels, isn't it? Because on the one hand, it's like kind of, <laughs> this is an incredible gesture and I love you very much, but on the other hand, for fuck's sake,
0: <laughs> <like I can't laughs> yeah.
1: stop everybody. Is, yeah. is, is this kind of, kind of an equivalent to like a stag do? And just like getting calls <laughs> off the fiance during a stag do,
0: like you know, if you're you're on
1: a mate stag do, and and uh, and his his wife to be is calling him. You know, there's kind of a moment where you're like, I respect this completely, but at the same time, <laughs> please stop <laughs> yeah. calling.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think this is quite sweet. I think it's not, uh a nice example of just how innocent their uh, relationship is. Mm. But um,
1: uh, yeah, that's the, true actually. Yeah,
0: yeah. There's this news of a hostage exchange between. Uh, the Lannisters and the Starks, uh, they're getting Robert Glover back, who was captured, uh, I think, over near in Duskendale. And for that, they, they're going to send this this kid called Martin Lannister back to, the, uh, back to King's Landing. Mm. And it just shows that sometimes hostage exchanges actually happen in this world. <laughs> which, uh... <laughs> You're right, actually. I think there's
1: justifiable cynicism on your part there about whether or not hostage <laughs> exchanges will ever actually fucking occur. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Uh, anyway, Uh, it turns out that uh, the Blackfish uh, is being left at Riverrun to look after Riverrun, obviously. Mm. Um, And this is, uh, Catelyn considers this to be a bit of a loss for Rob, because Mm. although Rob's won every battle, um, the Blackfish has been a big part of each one, Mm. because he seems like a real military genius, doesn't he, this guy?
1: Yeah, he's badass. He's, I don't know if he's quite a grandpa,
0: but he's definitely
1: badass, badass senior uncle. You know, that's badass, what... yeah, yeah. Badass yeah. uncle, I think that's what it. he is.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, and also, we meet uh, these two uh, relatives of Sajora, uh, Mage and Daisy Mormont, mm. who are from Bear Island, and it's apparently mm. Bear Island's got this reputation of having fierce women because they have to fight for themselves when the men are away, mm. and quite often when the men are away the um iron Man, you know the guys from you know theon's lot come over trying to do a bit of rape and pillage yeah, yeah so they've had to learn to fight themselves yeah and there's this gnarled gnarled old woman called mage mormons and her daughter daisy's uh she's almost like a north version of brienne isn't she she's yeah. this big powerful um armor wearing uh uh woman
1: yeah yeah, she's quite she's a warrior equal to anybody else in the pack, and again, love those characters, absolutely love them. Yeah,
0: yeah. I t- it's it's funny. I took a real liking to Daisy straight away, um, yeah. even though you don't have much time with her. Yeah. I think it might might be in a way maybe because she's a, almost a reflection of Brienne, who you've had a yeah. lot of time to yeah. sort of yeah. get to know and, and quite like.
1: Yeah,
0: that's true. Um, as part of their march north, they go through the Whispering Wood. Which is where Rob won his first battle. I think mm. it's where he, he took Jamie Lannister. Yeah, and um, and it's just it's all a bit sort of melancholic and maybe even foreboding because th- when they they had this battle in the Whispering Wood, it was sort of late summer and the trees were green and everything was in bloom, mm. and now. The trees are dead, and it's rain. It's pissing it down, Ooh. and it's cold and horrible. And it's just all. There's still a few signs of battle. There's, I think, there's a horse skeleton in a, yeah. a head peeping out of the ground, and yeah. it just all feels a bit grim, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and I, I think you're right about foreboding. There's just mm. a bit of a, there's a sense of kind of decay. And it, and it all comes with the, the fact that I for some undefinable reason, hovering behind all of this is a sense of like kind of foreboding about where they're going as well. Not just on the journey, but like, you know, there's a there's a there's a strong sense that the phrase haven't really quite forgiven them yet. And mm. and, you, you know, you're kind of like you're not going to an enemy, but you're not going to a friend at this point.
0: Yeah, and that's very much what Caitlin's thinking, isn't it? She mm. she thinks to herself, you know, um, he's always, Frey's always been a prickly and untrustworthy character and she's sort of, even though they've made these arrangements, she's not sure whether he's going to go through with it or whether he's going to send them away or is he going to... You know, you feel that this whole thing could turn on the whim of one miserable old man, don't you? Yeah. Um, Rob has this... Chat with Catelyn where he talks about the fact he's not got a son yet, and um, Mm. he says that you know he's got to get one as soon as possible because if he doesn't have an heir, then if he dies, the whole claim to the north ends with him. Yeah. And he says to guard against that, he wants to name John as his heir until his until his son comes along. Yeah. Um, Which obviously Catelyn doesn't want to happen because <laughs> she just hates him yeah um but it causes this real uh real argument between the two doesn't it and um, i think it gets to the point where catelyn compares john to theon and rob is really angry at that because he says they're two very different people and i think we agree with rob here don't we that john's very different to theon mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's just an example of how catelyn just just won't give John a chance will she and I think Rob sees that
1: yeah absolutely and he must have known that throughout his entire childhood you can't miss that kind of thing can you Mm -hmm. um uh, but I I quite like that it reiterated the relationship between Rob and John because that was I thought that could have been a really interesting thing to watch but since since like chapter four of the first book they've been at different ends of the world um yeah and I'd love John to be named heir. I mean, do you know what I mean? Like, obviously, I'd love I'd love Rob to be king in Winterfell and for it all to be all right. Although that seems less and less likely the further this war goes along. <laughs> but you know, yeah. if you, if you need a backup, then John would be fucking great. Can you imagine? King John, mm.
0: love it. <laughs> He'll be better than our King John. <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't be much worse, could he? <laughs> um. Yeah, actually he does I think Rob does name John as his heir at the end of this chapter. He yeah. has this parchment which he says, you know, get this out to proclaim to people this is what's gonna happen. Mm. So um that could open the door for John in the future. Yeah, um, or it could open the
1: door for a massive succession struggle like we've seen. So the North just becomes another little Westeros. Where everybody's yeah, like, Who the that, hell is this bastard
0: and why is he trying to rule me? you know? Yeah. And that's what Catelyn warns against, I suppose, isn't it? She says, yeah. you know uh, you can name John as your heir until your son comes along, but then your sons aren't going to be safe because he's next in the line of succession then. Yeah. And can can you trust him to be happy just sort of where he is?
1: Well, well, would you? Would you trust John in that moment?
0: Mm, yeah. From, from what we've seen of him, you've got to trust somebody. And yeah, I think me he too. He seems like a real straight up guy. Yeah, exactly. But, so, so, I mean, so Catelyn here, she's got a real problem. I
1: mean, we know that she hates yeah. him, but she must also be completely blind. Like she hates Mm. what he represents. She hates that he represents her husband's infidelity, but that doesn't mean he's a hateful person. That just means he's a hateful symbol, but she seems to go straight to he's, you know, he's as bad as a Lannister, you know, he'll kill your heirs. And we've seen nothing to indicate that that's the case.
0: Well, do you remember when Catelyn was on the way to the Eyrie and Mm. she came across a bastard there? um, Yeah. Some girl who helped her climb the hill. Oh yeah. And, um, And she immediately disliked her as well. Yeah. Uh, As soon as she heard the name, her whole attitude towards her changed. Yeah. And I just think it's just, yeah, it's a real blind spot of Catelyn's, isn't it? Yeah. She just hates bastards because of, because of what Ned did. Yeah. Um, Yeah. This is, this is the point where Rob hears from this traveling merchant that, um, Balon Greyjoy has died. (laughs) As if Um, by good fortune. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He gets the breaking news. Um, (laughs) But this is this is sort of Robert's best, I think. As soon as he hears this, he capitalizes and mm-hmm. he says, "Right, you know." He sends these two uh, because the Kalim is is being held by the Iron Men at the moment. But he says, "Now that there's a succession problem, mm-hmm. um, the guy who's holding it, this guy called Victorian, this the great commander for the." Uh, for the Iron Man is going to have to go back to his island to, mm. to claim the throne and take most of his captains with him which weakens Moat Kaelin to a point where they've got a better chance of taking it so he's he's got this plan of basically sending I think it's Mage Mormont and Gulbert Glover up, up on the up the river to uh to try and get hold of the Kranigmen yeah to, to basically try and find a sneaky way around Moat Kaelin and then attack it from both sides and mm. um, and take the castle, and you take the castle. That's the key to the north, and he's back. Yeah, and he, he can finally put things right in the north before worrying about what's happening further south.
1: Yeah, and it's a great scheme, isn't it? Although it does, it does
0: beg the question for
1: me that if that's your plan, why not start it now instead of going and doing all this stuff at the twins?
0: Yeah, I think he, he says he, he still needs the the men from the twins. Oh, of course, he doesn't, he doesn't, yeah, he doesn't have the means to take it. At the yeah, moment. he needs yeah. an
1: army from the twins. He also needs Bruce Bolton, which looks like a slightly questionable idea at this point.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, Bruce is on his way back now, isn't he? Yeah, so
1: he's like, and uh, I, there's a point, him. isn't it, where, um, where Rob says, and uh, the next army will be Bolton's army. And there was just a bit of me that went, oh
0: yeah, will it? <laughs> Quite nervous it could be a bit awkward when Rob finds out that um, Ruth Bolton sent Jamie Lannister back to the King's <laughs> Landing I'm sure but I get the feeling that Ruth Bolton might just be able to talk his way out of that he seems that good at sort of, um, of putting his case forward it wouldn't be a car start, would it it wouldn't be a fuck you and your kingship cut the chop yeah. of head off if you want it'd yeah. be more of a well, this is the strategy—the greatest strategy that I've thought, and if, I, if, I've, if I've caused offence, then I, I know I'm extremely sorry, but uh, this is the way, you know, and I could just imagine him turning Rob round, but we'll yeah.
1: see. Yeah, it is he's a bit of a forked tongue, little fucker, isn't he? Yeah. Hmm.
0: Uh, almost as a, a punishment, it's, well, this is how Caitlin reads it, um, Rob says that after the wedding at the twins, he's going to continue north, and... Catelyn's going to be sent to Seagard which is uh, this this castle held by the the Malisters mm. um, who are Bannermen to her dad mm. or to Edmure now um, and it's basically he says he wants to split up the family now because he's worried about what's going to happen to people so he's got his wife in Riverrun, Run he wants his mum in Seagard and he'll be up in the north mm. so yeah that's where we end it Yeah. yeah. Shall, we, shall we move to the final chapter for today which is about Sam Let's so he is at this village that him and Gilly, the uh, wildling girl, they're trying to make their way back to the wall. And um, I think Sam's a bit lost. He comes across <laughs> this wildling village. He's hoping that it's White Tree, which, if you remember, is the the village which they first came across on the way north, whenever yeah. this big ranging party. Yeah, doesn't doesn't look like it is White Tree because he, he works out that the, the the tree in the middle of the village is too small and all this. Yeah. Um, but they make themselves a fire Sam sings a song about these seven gods um, I'll be honest uh, this is another one which I just kept if <laughs> there's anything interesting in it you don't give skipping. a single
1: solitary shit about verse do you? <laughs> no. anybody wants you to skip something in a book all they've got to do is give it a slightly weird line layout and you're like fuck
0: that yeah, all they got to do is stick it in italics and I go whoop straight path I just saw a whole page of it I thought I'm not reading that <laughs> yeah i actually
1: I did read it because i uh, because i I read the whole book and, <laughs> and and I thought it was really interesting actually because it's the seven gods uh like the established religion, so we haven't really got an idea of what they're about you know mm-hmm. um and but I think it they're clearly quite foundational to like the Westerosi unity and all the seven seven different kingdoms, seven gods you know um they're yeah. really really key to the whole thing right and um and it, it it gives you an idea of what people think these gods mm. are about. Um, and it's kind of, you know, sort of interesting because, you know, we've got the red god, we've got the cold, the old gods, and then the cold gods who may or may not be the same thing. And you've got this, mm. you know, the state religion. It just gives you a bit of insight, I think. So yeah. it was
0: worth reading, Matt. You should read it next time. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Sam uh, goes to sleep and has this really nice dream mm. of... Uh, I, th- I thought this was great because, you know, when most people dream in this world, they're dreaming of sort of great deeds of combat and, you know, doing these great brave things. Yeah, or, and, uh, or they're Sam...
1: dreaming of really weird, cryptic, freaky shit that's not going to be explained yeah. for another 16 chapters. Sorry, yeah. carry on. I
0: want to say that uh, Sam's good dream version of that is. Uh, He's, he's at his old castle and he's the lord now and he's just laid on this massive feast for his mates and uh, <laughs> he, he's got he's got his dad's um valerian steel sword mm. but he's using it to carve meat to sort of give to everybody <laughs> i just thought it really sums up his character he's just a nice bloke isn't he? Yeah, yeah, in, yeah. in a world where being a nice guy isn't a particularly good quality
1: yeah, yeah it's very true like he'd be a fantastic sort of landlord wouldn't he pub landlord
0: yeah, <laughs> welcome. Be- I've got all the food. <laughs> It'd be a great um, sort of re- really rich aristocrat. One of those sort of oh, take two, take two. Yeah, of course. Of yeah, course yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> welcome. My house is enormous. here is all the food. And- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, just like that. Um, he wakes up from this lovely dream to um, oh, I mean, I've just got in big, big, big cups of lettuce here. Small Paul! Exclamation mark! Exclamation mark! Fuck! Because <laughs> Sam, wake, Sam wakes up and there's something at the door, and it's Small Paul as a zombie. Fucking hell! Or as a white. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, but it has been. It's I, I've been waiting for this sort of thing to happen. Um, mm. You know, to have the real horror of somebody you used to know come back, and it happened way back when the first zombies attacked Castle Black. Um, mm. But. Um, but this is somehow more this is deeper because we've we've seen small Paul we've kind of felt the development of his character and he keeps yeah. being referred to as Small Paul all the way through this and it, mm. it that just really brings the horror home to you where you're like kind of fuck this is a guy who used to be his mate, and now he's attacking him, and you kind of have to overcome that
0: and kill him yeah and it's this it's this real horror of um it, there's nothing i think there's very few things more frightening than waking up to find something over you, you know, something's there. <laughs> yeah, it says he woke up
1: in cold and dread and you're like, oh, this isn't going to go well.
0: Yeah. It's like that thing where, do you know, when you wake up after a nightmare and the, like, coat over the over the chair looks like someone's in the room staring at you, you yeah, yeah. You're like, and you freak out. are like, fucking Yeah, it's like <laughs> that, but he's it's, it's actually, a, you know, a bloodthirsty monster- but also a friend you used to know standing up here to kill you. It's terrifying. Um, he, he ends up fighting. He, he tries to talk to Small Paul at first, but obviously it doesn't work at all. These these monsters just, whatever they used to be, doesn't seem to be any part of them anymore. Mm. And um, he tries to stab it with the dragonglass blade, which he used against the White Walker. And it doesn't work, um, because it seems like there are two different things here aren't there Mm. you use fire against whites which Mm. is what small paul is and you use dragonglass against a white walker yeah so sam tries to stab him with dragonglass the the blade shatters yeah and then in the end he he just survives by um he's got a sort of a a few embers from the fire and picks up something from the fire and and uh, basically kills the white that way yeah um it's really interesting here that sam is he fights it and um all the time, he's cursing himself for being so weak and cowardly. Yeah, when he's acting so bravely. Yeah, uh, you know, a, a real coward would have would have left Gilly to it and run, run away, as we've and seen
1: he, many people do in response to these these monsters
0: in the past. Yeah, and he doesn't do that, but it, but all the time, as he's not doing that, he's cursing himself for being a coward, and yeah. it's just again, it's very good. Look at the character, isn't it? Yeah, it's
1: really interesting, isn't it? How, like, Sam's problem isn't so much that he's afraid, it's that he's been told a lie, which is that to be brave is not to be scared. And, and yeah. of course, we know that's not true, that bravery is facing your fears, not, not having them. Hmm. Um, but, um, but he still manages to man up to the situation. Ah, it's great stuff. Like, it's a great scene. I have to say, though, I was really shocked when he stabs him with the dragon glass thing and it doesn't work. I would, mm. that for me was a real horror movie moment where you've got this one item of hope and it doesn't work. It's like, it's like the, um, the shotgun jamming or whatever. You're like, get him, get him, get, him, <laughs> get fuck, <Yeah>. fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. and it's, and, and that's because I'd seen the episode where this happens in the TV series first, where he kills him with the dragon glass blade. Mm. And, yeah. and I was like, oh, okay, good. Night. I know what's going to happen. It's going to be fucking freaky, but he's going to kill him with the dragon glass blade. And then the Dragon Glass Blade doesn't work. And then he goes outside, and there are millions of them. And I was like, it was proper yeah. horror movie moment that because of what <laughs> I was expecting versus what came out. And I'm like,
0: ah! <laughs> yeah. And one of the one of the ones outside, we find out what became of Chet, you know, mm. that poor guy who um, who went from being. Uh, the he was a steward for the uh, for the maester at Castle Black. Then got bumped down to being the the dog handler. Then um, arranged this whole mutiny hmm. on the Fist of the First Men, which didn't work because yeah. it started to know him, and then ended up having to fight up there. And it turns out he was killed, I assume, on the Fist of the First Men, or maybe shortly after, hmm. because he's now back as a white, um, which is grim again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's... Um, yeah. But, I mean, he's probably no less helpful than he was when he was not a white towards (laughs) Sam anyway, because he (laughs) wanted to kill him anyway. Yeah, it doesn't really change much, does it? (laughs) So you think this is it for these characters. Yeah. Um, You think there's no way they're going to fight. The the trouble that Sam's had putting one of them down, now there's, you know, loads of them outside. You think, oh, God, this is it. Mm. And then he's saved by crows, but not you know, not the nickname for the night's watch. They're not night's watch, but they're they're literally crows. Yeah, um, swoop down and start pecking these uh, these whites. Yeah, and as Sam makes a break for it, there's this bloke on a on a horse. Is it on a horse? I think it's on a horse. Yeah, yeah. Um, who? No, he no says, he's, he's
1: on an elk. He's, oh, he's not. riding an elk. Yeah, riding a, an yeah, elk. Yeah. How badass is this elk. guy? <laughs>
0: And he says, "Come with me." And Sam's like, "Fuck yeah, let's get out of here." Yeah. And um, and then he realizes, as he takes the guy's hand, that um, he thinks the guy's wearing black gloves, but he's not. He's um, his hands have gone black and they're freezing cold. It's like the blood's clotted in the on his fingers, <laughs> like, like, you do when you, like you do when you have a really bad frostbite. Yeah. yeah. Oh um, man. So it's you think he's been saved, and then um, who is this? thing. And then end of <laughs> chapter. <it> <laughs> yeah. ah! Cut to bl- cut to black. <laughs> oh. Oh man, like what
1: the hell is going on here? What do you think this
0: is? Ah, uh, I don't know. Mm. I don't know. And um it's it's one of those things where I, I think I don't think it's going to be in the series. Or at least it, it yeah. hasn't been yet. Yeah. So um I don't know. It's good. It's 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 an interesting different direction that the book takes to the series. Mm. And we'll see what see what happens with it. Brightening. But um, yeah, yeah, and that's where we end it for today. <sighs> <laughs>
1: I'm now really invested in Sam's Sam's thing. He's been quite. He's irritated me before with how he repeats to himself that he's a coward. Like he's just just like a floppy glove. But actually, yeah. in this, he's he's really, really kind of really stood up to an experience. And now he's now is he gonna die? Is he gonna be a zombie Sam next? Is he? What's gonna happen? Yeah. Tune in next time. <laughs>
0: um, let's just mention where we're going to re- be reading to next time. Yes. Uh, so not a lot. To go, we, all we're going to do is um, reading from the next chapter, uh, which is I don't know why I always say what well, the next chapter is. It's obvious, but mm. it's uh, the next chapter is about Aya, page seventy-eight. Uh, if you've got the two-book version, chapter about Aya, which begins when they reached the top of the ridge mm. and saw the river, and we're reading as far as a uh, chapter about. Hang on, page one forty. Chapter about Tyrion, which begins: They supped alone as they did so often, and that's page one forty, right? In the in Blood and Gold. Okay, that's all you got to read to. All right then. Uh, time for feedback. We have uh, we've got something I want to get your thoughts on. Right. Uh, so this is a bit of feedback from uh, Ben. I think it's Van Dyke. Um, apologies if I got the pronunciation wrong. Um, he says that he, he was. He wants to expand on these these comparisons we've been making between sort of Western medieval Europe and uh, and Game of Thrones. Mm. Um, he says, in particular, I was wondering whether you think the Unsullied are a reference to the Ottoman Janissary Corps, uh, both elite slave soldiers who had given up most of their past identity, I guess geographically it makes sense as they're sort of far southeast of Westeros. Mm. Um, however, there are some complications. He doesn't think Janissaries uh, were ever traded or sold to third powers. Mm. Furthermore, they came to be a political force to be reckoned with within the Ottoman Empire, mm. whereas the Unsullied seemed to hold no political power whatsoever until Daenerys incorporates them into her army. So this comparison between the Unsullied and this this uh, sort of elite warriors from from old Turkey um, Mm. in the medieval world. What did you make of that?
1: I thought this was brilliant. I thought this is definitely a sign that our audience is way ahead of us in knowledge about history. (laughs) Because I'll be honest, (laughs) when we got this, I had to go and look up the Janissary Corps um, because I didn't know anything about it. Had
0: you heard of them? Because I think you know a bit more about this part of the world than I do. Uh, The only thing I'd... I've really come across with Janissaries. I'm not 100% sure how to pronounce it. I think it's Janissaries. Mm. Um, and I, I only got it from. Uh, there was a game a while back, uh, I think a medieval Age of Empires, Age of Kings, which I played. And they were a, a unit in that. <laughs> and there were these sort of guys you could buy at the market. And there were these kick ass. Um, I think they fought with um, like muskets. Yeah, yeah. And. And that, that was my own, that was the only thing I thought of when um, when this turned up. That's but uh, yeah,
1: two history degrees between us, and we're like, Janissary, interest Ottoman Empire? You say no, never yeah. heard of it.
0: Well, I, I knew where the Ottoman Empire was obviously, <laughs> based mostly on no, Turkey. I, I, <laughs> um, I but well. The thing is, the thing is with history, there's a lot of it, isn't there? So <laughs> yeah, yeah there's so much, you could do all years. the
1: reading, or you could just plug your <laughs> seminars. Um, yeah. Yes. Um, so, uh, no, I mean, I thought this was interesting. And I actually think this is, you know, they may not have power right now. But could this be the origins of a kind of power thing for the Unsullied? Because mm. clearly they have a great, great deal of loyalty to Daenerys. Like I was saying before, is there going to come a point where Daenerys has to make a decision that is, is not good for them? And, you mm. know, will they really grasp what their freedom means? Because um, yeah. it seems clear that's what happened with the um, with the Janissaries. Um, but, yeah. You know, it, as well as which though, like, how horrifying is it that this, which seems so cartoonishly um,
0: dehumanising
1: in the book, is it, could actually be based on something that really happened?
0: Yeah, I, I think, think it's f- fucked the, up. The, yeah, Janissaries it, w- were, insofar as they were taken as I think as slaves um, and were, as children as well. They were, well, slave, they? They were mean, like yeah, taken as kids yeah. and conditioned to fight for the emperor. Yeah, horrifying. But it's interesting that um, that Ben makes that distinction between you know the fact that you know the the Janissaries became quite powerful politically, mm. and that hasn't ha- that obviously hasn't happened with the Unsullied. But maybe it's just it hasn't happened yet. Maybe there's a route to power through Daenerys now they've been effectively freed. Mm. That um, that will will mean they continue to follow this parallel in terms of the political aspirations. Although it, it does seem that. Um, the, the the training for the unsullied is so rigorous that it kicks out any sense of independent thought, doesn't it? Or that's the that's the idea. They're supposed to be effectively like machines, which mm. just do the command of whoever the the boss is. Yeah. So how autonomous they'll be able to become? I, I'm not sure. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's a big question, though, isn't it? Because on you know, I suppose that kind of like a flood of unexpected freedom can do two things: it could really fuck them up, or it could really liberate and make them stronger. Mm. And, and I'm yeah. really interested to see how that plays out. I think there's a great there is a huge potential for conflict between between Daenerys and the um and the unsullied.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well it's uh I mean it's a it's a great comparison. Thanks very much, Ben, for, for sending it in yeah. and, and do send some more stuff in again. Um if you want to get involved yourself, it's uh you can send us an email to sharkliveroilpodcast podcast at gmail.com. That's sharkliveroilpodcast podcast at gmail dot com. Or you can find us on Twitter at Shark Live Royal. We've also got a Facebook page. If you just search for Shark Live Royal podcast on Facebook, you should find us. Um, and yeah, that's uh, that's about it for today, Dave. And uh, there's anything else you want to you want to add to the uh, discussion?
1: Well, I only to say what the fuck's going to happen to Sam.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm still. I'm feeling more distraught about this than
1: I was expecting to. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm really worried about it myself and I've read the book before. So. <laughs> that bodes well then, nice. <laughs> so we'll um yeah, well we'll be back next week with uh what's gonna be called the reigns of Castamere mm. And strap yourselves in because it's gonna be a fucking bumpy ride the next one. <laughs> um oh, oh, good. I look forward to it. <laughs> okay. And uh we will be back next week. Yeah. Till then. Bye bye.